Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu and welcome to the Drive Time Show with myself, Usman Ali Anjum and Fahim Saab. Um, today's Drive Time Show, we'll, we'll be discussing two topics as normal. Uh, first one being Afghanistan and the impact of the foreign cuts and the second one being a religious topic of Prophet Noah. Yes, looking forward to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, um, we've we've got two amazing uh, topics, and as as this is the drive time show here at Voice of Islam, we want you to get involved. So don't forget to give us a call on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Um, I think we need to first start talking about something that's happening quite historic today. Right, and um, that is the famous case that is a first. It's a, a geno- genocide case against Israel over the Gaza war. Mm. And, you know, we're seeing... Um, I, I honestly didn't think this would happen. It's, it's about time, right? Like, finally. it's about time. It's finally, you know? Um, and it's good to see whether it's going to bear any real fruit we're not sure yet mm. that only time will tell but, but at least it's a step in the right direction we would hope yeah and um i think that that's that's the main thing right we so we wanted to give you a bit of a a bit of a um rundown on what's happened today just before we get into our important topic about afghanistan um and the impact of foreign aid cuts uh, so today, we um, South Africa presented their case against Israel in the International Court of Justice in The Hague, uh, not to be mistaken for the International Court. Um, and the country's legal system has uh, accused Israel of committing genocide against the people of Gaza. The South African representatives included Ronald Lamola, Adila Hassim, Tembeke, Ningyoti, uh, John Dugard and a few others um, and d- there was hundreds of pro-Palestine supporters gathered outside the court and the Israel's uh, foreign ministry uh, actually not surprisingly um, said that a well they made a strongly worded statement after the hearing uh, where they accused South Africa of Functioning, and I, and I am doing quotation marks here. Um, if anyone can't see me, um, hmm. uh, functioning as a, the legal arm of Hamas. So, uh, what are your thoughts, right? Like this is this is something that we've we've wanted to see, right? Definitely. We've wanted to see something, some actual court. Whether it's going to bring any fruit, we're not sure yet. But just how are you feeling about it? So, me personally, I, I believe you know this is something that's. As I would say it's about time. Finally, we're moving in, in hopefully, in the right direction. As you said, it, it remains to be seen whether it will bear fruit or not. Um, but definitely, it's it's not just that it's Palestinian; it's any innocent life which is lost in Islam. We are taught, and, and we care for them. You know, it's, it, Promise Messiah, peace be upon him, has said as well that you know if you uh, see like a Hindu in, in trouble, I think that maybe the word is. Uh, drowning or, or burning and if you don't help them then you're not one among us meaning the teaching of Islam and the way we are is so vast that we care for everyone like they are brothers like they they are the same there's no differentiation of oh because he's a Muslim I must care for him more or because he's an, a Hindu I cannot care this is not it at all and, it, and again and that kind of links to our topic today where it's Afghanistan and the impact of uh, foreign aid cuts because um in the wake of the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan in 2021, the country 
And if people, yet again, have been finding themselves basically grappling with the complex, uh, with this complex and uh, multifaceted struggle. And um, people, uh, basically, they've been known for their oppressive rule in the 20th century. And the return of this regime has plunged Afghanistan into a state of uncertainty again, bringing them uh, back old fears and igniting new challenges. And it's quite sad because it's not only misconstruing what Islam is, and not only is it putting those people, um, sort of ruining the lives of Afghan Afghanist uh, people uh, of of the people of Afghanistan, but rather. What it's doing is it's giving the wrong impression of Islam and funnily enough most of the people struggling are actually Muslims themselves. Yeah. So it's the Muslims causing the issues but if you are maybe just if you glance over it or if you don't look into it deeply you might think oh yeah this is what Islam is teaching God forbid. But you have to see this is definitely not what Islam is teaching because yeah. if the ruling percent if they force their way in or whatnot, the people they are inflicting this damage and, and these difficulties are Muslims themselves. Yeah. So it's it's really something which which hits home is quite sad, definitely. Um, and there, there's the natural disaster as well, right? There's um, there's been an earthquake recently, and there's actually been an earthquake today uh, with a magnitude of six point three mm. um, in Afghanistan. So it's it's there, there's been problems in the area for for a long time, um, but these types of natural disorders uh, diso- um, can you know, increase the severity of existing problems. Um, and, you know, there's been failed attempts from the past, right, of, of trying to, to fix this situation. But um, I just want to draw uh, attention to a verse in the Holy Quran um, where Allah, the Almighty, states in the uh, Holy Quran that, and when he is in authority, he runs about in the land to create disorder in it and destroy the crops and the progeny of man. And Allah's, Allah loves not disorder, and that's chapter two, verse two hundred and six. Um, the reason, the thing is, is that there has been issues. So, just just going back to the context that we were providing about Gaza, ultimately, um, there's been a massive, massive negligence, I would say, of any sort of help. There have been children dying consistently, not just children, but people, and we're seeing it live. And I think that that is what is the most shocking thing. Um, I think that uh, there was there was a quote from a, a, a lawyer that I saw that uh, said that this is the first genocide in history where its victims are broadcasting their own destruction in real time. Now let us think here for a second. Second, right, like. They li- we're literally seeing it constantly and that's why this case is an important one um, if you have any thoughts on it please give us a call um, don't forget to get involved um, but back to uh, Afghanistan just quickly though if you if yeah. you know you're not the type to call and you'd rather just you know I wouldn't say keyboard warrior but if you'd rather just tweet then you can also do that at Voice of Islam UK or alternatively you can also visit the website and maybe if you want you can even drop an email yeah just get involved in the conversation because this is a historic moment and you know despite our topic being about Afghanistan today we felt the need to bring it up and because it's about time it is about time that something has happened and I really I really hope and pray that it is going to bring some sort of uh, change 
mm. um, and and some sort of solution because you know as the the caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been consistently saying, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, um, may Allah be his helper, um, that absolute justice is the only way forward. Right. Absolutely. And what we need to do is, uh, he also says that we need to unite the Muslim countries. You two, we need to uni- unite. Yeah. It's the only way they will have any sort of influence. If they separate now for their own vested interests, in the long run, they'll actually end up losing as well. So it's going to be, they might seem like, oh yeah, but let's support them and we'll be better off now. But in the long run, they'll actually be in the, you know, negatively impacted as well. Definitely. So it's it's really just quite sad. I mean, the thing is, it's all these activities, later terrorism, and um, whether it's a, a Jew or a Muslim, uh, or you claim to be a Jew or claim to be a Muslim, it, their actions are not the religious teachings. They're just using their own vested interests. Um, they're using religion to for their own vested interests, and um, even for example. Uh, with Afghanistan, at least there was efforts of uh, help in the past as well. So how there's efforts now where I know Yemen and other countries have been trying to help as well. And then Lebanon and they've been attacked as well. There were actually help attempts for Afghanistan as well. Uh, so there's kind of a parallel there. So in 2021, the UK government pledged a significant cross-government effort dubbed Operation Warm Welcome, which was meant to ensure the safety and stability of, of Afghans who had helped the British during conflict. It was meant to provide vital support to rebuild their lives, find work, pursue education and integrate into their local communities as they arrived in the UK. Then there's the ARAP, the Afghan Relocations and Assistance Policy. And it was initiated again in uh, 2021, this time in April. And uh, it was to offer assistance to Afghan individuals who collaborated with the UK government uh, in vulnerable roles. However, its uh, eligibility criteria was limited, excluding NGO and aid sector workers uh, whose work makes them at risk from Taliban. So right. it wasn't even covering everyone. Definitely. And so to give more context about today, you know, the, there was the earthquake, but there's been a series of earthquakes across 2023, right? Mm. And um, I just wanted to provide some context around that, where there has been a serious, uh, series of earthquakes in the province of Herat, over 2,000 people were killed as a result. You know, these earthquakes caused significant damage to infrastructure um, with people, families being left homeless, um, very little resources. Um, these uh, statistics include that um, 10,000 homes have been destroyed, 20,430 severely damaged, the MSRAF uh, reports that a total of over 48,000 households have been affected by the earthquake. And uh, earthquake-affected areas require immediate humanitarian assistance, including medical support, food, clean water and shelter. Uh, after the earthquakes, as we know, in, in Pakistan, in Iran and China, uh, pled uh, to send in food, blankets, medicines, tents and funds. So... The thing is, is that with the, with the uh, earthquake today, it's just it seems to be continuing, and with the area not getting any better, essentially, you know, there's been m- many failed attempts, as as you've mentioned as well, a few of them, um, but the foreign aid has been cut, right, and um, 
the thing is that uh, Afghanistan has seen food aid cuts which have led to severe food shortages in affected areas. And over 10 million Afghans have um, stopped receiving emergency food from the United Nations, World Food Programme and other agencies due to funding shortfalls. Uh, over 3 million of children uh, are now suffering from malnutrition. Over 12 million people uh, are experiencing acute hunger. Um, and as a result of this, like mothers have had to undertake desperate measures like sedation, um, using uh, antihistamines to calm uh, children, the effects of starvation. And, and Yeah, sorry, no, I just want to add there that this isn't the teaching you could think that oh yeah it's right it's run by muslims so the problem god forbid would be in the teaching or would yeah. be in islam but you know the holy quran actually is is strongly condemns uh, you know usurping the rights of others and injustice and cruelty god actually guides us in the holy quran that oh you who believe be steadfast in the cause of allah bearing witness in equity and let not a people's enmity incite you to act otherwise other than with justice be always just, that is nearer to righteousness. And fear Allah, surely Allah is aware of what you do. And then again, it says, um, uh, in another, and that's, by the way, that's uh, chapter 5, verse 9. In another place, it's, you know, uh, be just, even if it be against your own family or yourself. Hmm. So Islam actually strongly emphasizes justice. It's, again, as I was saying, it's the use of religion or emotional uh, you know topics or, or things which are emotionally tied to people whereby they can manipulate people and then you you know um and then use it for their own personal vested interests so it's actually a misuse of religion and in fact religion came to get rid of these things if we look at the time when the religion w w w came through history not just by uh, muslim or christian historians or you know the the historians of that uh, the religion that respective prophet would have brought if we look at any sort of you say unbiased history yeah you will see there as well that uh they will say that you know the conditions were bad these acts were happening so rather it was actually religion that came to stop these things and every prophet came according to the need of that time and place and gave the teaching according to the need of that time and place until eventually mankind developed enough where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, brought the complete law for the whole world and for the rest of time. And that's one of the miracles of the Quran, that it remains unchanged, but also it's a guidance for all times whereby more and more meanings keep coming out of it. It's like a tree that just keeps bearing fruit. Mm. And, and that's, it, that, that's just something I really wanted to stress is that it's not religion, it's a misuse. It's using an emotional topic or something where you can manipulate people who are maybe... Um, maybe not as uh, well versed or, or whatnot, and using that and for your own personal interest to get away with with crimes. Yeah. yeah, and so the thing is, is that this is a this is a country that's suffered a lot, right? Like over the last years, like I can't remember a time where there wasn't issues. Um, I think that. With these natural disasters like the earthquake that's continued, like you know, a series of earthquakes throughout 2023 and the one today as well, which I'm sure we'll go into with our guests later. Um, it's just, I think people don't understand the impact that foreign aid cuts have, right? I think that it's something that 
you know, out of sight, out of mind, you know, with like, oh, you know, we need to... People are relying on us, right? People are relying on this. We're seeing the impact that it's having on people, right? They, their houses are destroyed. Like, just, just put yourself in that situation for a second, right? You wake up and you literally see your house destroyed, right? Yeah, you you survived. You're, you're thankful for life, but... You know, you've got to, you've got to go get a new passport. You've got to go, like, get food, like, find a kitchen, like, you know, find some clothes. What if you all you like? I think people can underestimate how much of an impact these things have on people's livelihoods, but on their ability to function as human beings, right? Like, there's so many things that are needed in our lives, so many luxuries that we have, and then for people to constantly call for, like, you know. Let's worry about ourselves. Let's let's not worry about those out there. And at the end of the day, no one should be suffering. And this is where I feel like Islam really, truly resonates with me in the sense that you you should always be thinking of others. You should always have that compassion for others because without it, like people are going to genuinely be impacted and i think that if everybody can just take that value take that care take that love to understand that you know service to humanity is is a fundamental part of who we are and it's you know innate within us it's um it's natural within us and that we should tap into that because only then can we stop the suffering of people in these really, really harsh ways, right? They, it just the fact that um, you know people are are they, like just imagine putting just put yourself in that situation for one second. I think mm. that people are so consumed with their own lives. I got to worry about this. I got to worry about that. The materialism of this world is really. Mm. starting to control people's thought processes and at the end of the day i think we need to make sure that we're we're aware of these i things. think it's just evident it's an humanitarian crisis mm. um and even as i was mentioning before the acrs which is another sort of help scheme or aid scheme that they they had initiated i was saying yeah, the afghan that, citizen res- resettlement scheme yeah yes so e- even that the limited and f- i mean for example with the a- AIAP, it was saying that because the uh, criteria, as I was mentioning before, was so limited, it, it was excluding NGOs and aid sector workers who were actually at risk from the Taliban. And uh, the, uh, the process was prolonged and it made just too too many difficulties for people that when you're, your struggle is, am I going to be alive? Am I going to have my basic necessities? Hmm. You know, the... The ACRS, uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Afghan Citizens Resettlement Scheme, is open to citizens linked to the UK government, including British council teachers, individuals who supported British forces and embassy staff. It emphasizes aiding women, children and minority groups threatened by the Taliban. However, Afghans have not received the warm welcome that was promised. Delays in processing documents, being stuck in hotel rooms for months and unable to find suitable accommodation have left many feeling hopeless. The government's actions have left thousands trapped in limbo with nowhere permanent to live. While many remain stuck in Afghanistan or Pakistan, unable to reach the UK safely, with visas expiring, many in Pakistan face the risk of deportation as well. Um, so if individuals within Afghanistan, there's the constant pressure of, of danger uh, and it jeopardizes their lives and the safety of their day ones, as I was saying. And that's the, 
crux of it that's the most important thing for you is is actually being alive i would say of course your connection with god as a religious person i would say mm. it's it's religion uh, but everything comes when you're alive <laughs> in top so um talibans have even been doing uh, mad hunts from house to house to locate individuals with any as- affiliations to the british so there are eight efforts being made but those eight efforts yeah are actually as we've seen they're not actually coming to fruition properly so anything is to be judged by its result mm. to judge whether something is successful you have to look at its result you know i could make a car engine with a thousand horsepower but if it doesn't go faster than a car with 200 brake horsepower in, in, a, in a straight line maybe it's not been done so it's like is it fit for purpose yeah exactly is yeah. it fit for purpose and um it's just i guess um you know in islam is emphasized so much but the teachings aren't being followed and it's just misleading people and um as i was trying to say as well is that this is something where for example as of november 2022 over 11600 individuals have been relocated to the uk under the aarap scheme um and then the ministry of defense estimates that another 4600 are still eligible for relocation around 1600 of these have already received a le- relocation offer but not all are respected to relocate and there are over 72000 aarap applications still waiting for a decision the vast majority of which are anticipated to be ineligible for relocation so if you if you just deep that the vast majority are c- to be ineligible it's 72000 and it's only 11600 that have been relocated that's yeah percentage was not even 15% yeah so it, it so they 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 they've waiting and waiting yeah they are like it's most likely not even going to happen exactly imagine waiting and and finding out that you're not in eligible this is and uh, i think that it's this is why we need to constantly look out for our fellow man like you know if people think about and this is why we do these shows this is why we have the voice of islam is that we're trying to explain to everyone listening that we that islam has a set of principles and has guidance that can really help the world be a better place because it's about like making yourself better right if you start as an individual right if you go on that journey if you help yourself to be more compassionate to care for others you know there's so much it's so easy to be selfish in this world and i think that it's actually harder mm. um and it's um the smarter thing to do to be compassionate and to look after others because um i think that it's yeah for me at this thing that we're constantly not looking out for our fellow man we're becoming more selfish as a society as nations you know we start i think a lot of patriotism is is mm. being branded out banded out there in the it, you know that oh I'm just being patriotic let's worry about our own whatever but i think it's more of a lack of compassion i think we're just becoming more selfish and less compassionate i mean personally I, from my opinion whenever i see these things and of course they're more prevalent now maybe it's just because i'm maybe more invested but it's these things to me actually show more uh, in fact with more sort of it makes it more obvious to me or more clear that 
this is why we need Islam. Because if we don't, if Islam is not followed correctly, and if we don't follow the guidance of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and of, you know, of the current caliph as well, then what will happen is these issues will persist. People will struggle, people will die, people will start. Whereas if we were to follow Islam to the T, if we look at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when he was in, when he was basically in power near the end of his lifetime, we see that it was successful. When we see the the, the caliphs who followed, so if we see it was successful, so much so that when the Muslims were unable to um, guarantee the defense of one area, they were returning the, the tax sort of jizya that was paid to them, to the Christians saying that we're not able to make sure that we'll be able to actually protect you for, for the money that we've taken for the protection. Uh, we're not sure if we'll be able to do justice to it so you can have the refund or the money back. And they were so pleased that they said that we actually hope that you win and rule over us again. So it just shows that actually Islam is needed now more than ever. The Holy Prophet said, if one who is entrusted with the responsibility of overseeing other people is negligent in their responsibilities to them, then God will forbid them from paradise. And again, it's just showing that in Islam, the role of the leader is immense. And he's actually asked about everyone who's under him. And it's again another verse of the Quran that and when it is said to them create not disorder on the earth they say we are only promoters of peace so so the resurgence to authority brought swift and severe limitations to Afghanistan with severe uh, with the extreme ones being specifically targeted uh, with, uh, towards women and literally what happens is is under the guise of Islamic law mm. so what's happening is Misusing Islam, uh, teachings of Islam, yeah. pushing them for their own personal vested interests <laughs> for probably the fifth, sixth time, whatever. But and it's like you're doing the wrong thing, mm. but you're throwing someone else under the bus for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's what is just use. This is see. This is why islam like you need to understand the teachings of islam for yourself because there are a lot of people that misuse it that you know generalize that um use it as the scapegoat that's needed you know to to excuse whatever atrocity that they're you know doing and um you know with with this uh with afghanistan like you know the rights and restrictions that have happened um, like you mentioned, that the the resurgence of this uh, resurgence of this authority brought swift and swear uh, limitations, um, and it has like targeted women. It has um, been used under the you know um, under the guise of uh, Islamic law. With, for example, the Taliban uh, quickly imposed a ban on girls' secondary school education and sports. Right, it, it's restricted travel to only being permissible in the company of male relative, and mandated hijab as well as face covering. Um, those working for the government were told to stay at home. Uh, education and health being the only sector where women are allowed to work, and so these rights and restrictions have come, and they've. Uh, it's like you said, right? They misappropriating Islam and its true teachings, and using it as a as a form of control, um, and that's why you know foreign aid is is needed in these uh, areas. Um, 
but you know islam says a lot about education right mm. um and the importance of education so why why would it be under islam that you know that women should uh, that girls should be going to uh, secondary school right it's it's not absolutely wrong you know the holy prophet said that you know even if you travel to china you should you should travel for knowledge um you know if, if someone has a daughter and he, uh, daughters and he's you know he he educates them looks after them well then there's this reward for him and uh, in so many ways it's been emphasized and it's actually one of the traditions that was going on when for example when the holy prophet peace be upon him was born around that time not all tribes but some tribes they would bury their daughters alive because they saw it as a as a as a source of shame hmm. and now the holy prophet obviously peace be upon him he came and eradicated it and this is just one of the like it just shows that i mean just one of the things there's a lot more but what happens is islam um is actually ending these things is is here to take these things away eradicate them and these guys are just misappropriating them yeah. but anyways before blabbering on um we've got a guest on on now yeah uh, we have uh, amit uh, kaduda um the intro uh, the spokesperson for the save the children organization um assalamu alaikum peace be upon you and welcome to the drive time show here at voice of islam alaikum assalam thank you for having me No, thank you so much for your time. So, we wanted to kick things off to ask, you know, given the earthquake today, um, what, how have the earthquakes effects been felt in terms of disruptions to daily routines such as work, school, or transportation? Sure. So we are still trying to understand the impacts of today's earthquake, but as you know, there have been a series of earthquakes that shook Western Afghanistan. Herat province that devastated lives and livelihoods in that part of the country uh the immediate impact on people is of course uh most devastatingly felt in the form of the loss of life where people may lose their families but uh the other impacts include the loss of shelter of course and uh inability to access food shelter uh education water uh and uh, and other services so uh, often times in a place like afghanistan especially rural areas homes would be constructed from from mud or other uh informal settlements and the uh, earthquakes especially strong ones that uh shook western afghanistan uh, often devastated entire villages we saw that some villages were completely destroyed and flattened by the earthquake and oftentimes an earthquake is followed by a series of aftershocks which obviously uh make it uh, very difficult for people to stay inside their homes even if they were not destroyed and in the longer term uh, there is obviously a psychological impact that often affects uh children especially harshly so uh as much as there are uh NGOs non-governmental organizations that try to help uh oftentimes earthquakes can be quite devastating and deadly uh but as far as today's earthquake which was 6.4 magnitude uh it was located in the north east of Afghanistan in Badakhshan province and we in Kabul 
felt the earthquake quite severely. It lasted for about 40 seconds and shook the entire building. Um, and uh, one could only imagine how devastating it was for people at the epicenter of the earthquake. And in terms of the infrastructure damage, how has the earthquake affected um, essential services like water supply, electricity and healthcare? And then how are residents coping with these disruptions in their daily lives as well? Sure. Um, of course, I cannot speak about today's earthquake because we have yet to assess the situation. But the daily life uh, of people after the Herat earthquakes is that it was totally disrupted. Uh, of course, the affected areas, including schools, which mostly were damaged or fully destroyed, um, make it so that children are not able to go to school. Uh, the other issue is that uh, oftentimes the water supply will be affected as a result of an earthquake. People find it very difficult to access drinking water. Uh, and at the same time, uh, people may be forced to drink unsafe or untreated water and rely on water trucking. Of course, at the same time, um, the longer term impacts is related to the uh, livelihoods of people. Many people may uh, be uh, impacted. They may have lost their, their shops. Uh, may have been destroyed, and their ability to access markets also will be will be impacted uh, in the long term. Uh, local businesses, employment opportunities may be lost, and it would make uh, economic recovery quite difficult. And in terms of like, um, obviously we've gone into more the physical side of it, but in terms of like the psychological and emotional toll, of the earthquake on individuals and communities and um, whether there are any support systems in place to address these issues. Could you just elaborate on, on these, please, and discuss these? Uh, of course, uh, you know, earthquakes have a longer uh, impact beyond the physical damage, as you mentioned, especially children. We often see that boys and girls face issues such as depression and um, they may fear they may fear going back into their homes, uh, but at the same time, other disasters like floods and earthquakes and dis droughts disproportionately affect children, uh, making uh, them more vulnerable to um, displacement. For example, uh, they may be left without a caregiver. They may become disabled as a result of falling debris. And ultimately, uh, this can create um, longer lasting uh, psychological trauma for the children. Uh, we often see that uh, it takes several days for children to feel comfortable enough to go back inside their homes or buildings. Oftentimes, children uh, will want to sleep out in the open because of the uh, psychological impact of the earthquake. Um, and unfortunately, in, uh, you know, rural areas that are often poverty stricken, there aren't enough services to support children to deal with such issues. 
And, you know, in terms of um, the children affected, uh, um, in terms of the education, the educational side, because, I mean, to think about, of course, they're going through all these difficulties. So what's happening is their education is impacted as well. So are there any support systems for these? Uh, because obviously, of course, if, if these things aren't addressed, then they'll they'll grow up and probably struggle more because they've missed out on a huge chunk of education. Uh, impacting the country in many other ways as well. So are there any support systems for the children? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, education is oftentimes the first victim as a result of uh, such disasters. Uh, what we as Save the Children and other uh, national and international partners often do is we establish community-based education uh, programming, which allows children in the remotest parts of the country to be able to access their primary education. And these are classrooms that are set up in coordination with communities, often drawing from community members as teachers, uh, where we provide them with the training, with the toolkits necessary, and provide basic materials uh, for the children's learning and oftentimes these classrooms are hosted in uh, people's homes, uh, community leaders homes or um, other community uh, facilities so that we are able to reach children where they are um, especially in the context of uh, very remote rural areas. Right and the thing is, is that often when I think about these things, I think like, what what can we do? And, and with the the impact of of foreign aid cuts, how how can we solve this? Like, what what is it that any anyone listening, us, you, and I, how can we make an impact? Thank you for that. It's a very important question. Of course, oftentimes short-term emergency humanitarian assistance is really not a sustainable solution to some of these more chronic issues. What we at Save the Children and other international organizations are calling for is that there should be a shift towards development assistance. Of course, we are fortunately saw that there was uh, a complete suspension uh, by some governments of development assistance to Afghanistan. And we see that there's a global decline in both humanitarian and development assistance to uh, developing countries. What you and your listeners can do is to advocate, to call your uh, members of parliament, to call upon them to ensure that uh, countries like the UK are uh, contributing uh, to international development uh, funding and, of course, ensuring that the emergency and humanitarian aid that is so vital to ensure that life-saving and life-sustaining services are continued. It's imperative that the international community does not uh, forget about Afghanistan and there is ultimately a uh, collective responsibility by the international community to help a country like Afghanistan, which is the fourth most negatively impacted country by climate change. 
For example, we see Afghanistan today is suffering its third year of consecutive drought, which is obviously uh, connected to climate, the climate crisis. Uh, however, Afghanistan did not contribute uh, at all to the global climate crisis. So there's a, there's a responsibility to ensure that people here are not uh, left to face the brunt of this issue by themselves. And just in terms of the economical side, economic recovery, I, would, I should say rather, given the, of course, the destruction by the earthquake and how people's livelihoods have been impacted in terms of like agriculture, local businesses, and employment opportunities, are there in any initiatives to sort of support this side of, of the recovery? Because, of course, the educational side you've touched on, but on this economical side. Sure. Of course, people's lives and livelihoods are often devastated in the wake of an earthquake. And what we at Save the Children and our other partners uh, do immediately after the earthquake, after conducting our assessment, is identifying the most pressing needs for the families and children in the affected area. Uh, of course, oftentimes this support is in the form of physical uh, shelter material. Uh, it's in the form of non-food items like blankets, like uh, jerry cans and soap and hygiene products. But oftentimes it's also in the form of cash assistance, where we provide the most devastated families with a certain amount of cash because we know that these families are best positioned to understand what their most immediate needs are. Cash oftentimes is the most effective, the quickest way to ensure that we are able to provide the needed assistance to families. Of course, we can come with our uh, logistics and bring in all this equipment, but immediately after the earthquake, people need to go and buy the, uh, the food that they need. They need to be able to replace their, their winter coats. They need to be able to buy, um, you know, uh, the, the, the um, water supplies and other life-sustaining, life life-saving things that you would need. And cash is often the best way to do that. So that's what we have done in, in Herat. Um, and oftentimes, this is the most effective way to support these uh, families to recover economically uh, during uh, and after the earthquake. So I was just going to say, in terms of, um, I understand the cash side, but in terms, are there any long-term efforts, for example, for providing employment or sort of giving them, it's like, you know, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. So in that sense, is there anything for the long term where you're trying to recover work and jobs on that side? Certainly, you know, part of our work in Afghanistan, not necessarily as a wake of in the wake of an emergency response, but part of our work in order to support families uh, when it comes to their food security and their livelihoods is to support uh, um, young people with technical vocational training where we provide them with a um, 
a series of uh, workshops and uh, training programs to help them be able to um, gain a skill and a trade and be able to provide for themselves and their families. We also are conducting agricultural support programs in parts of Afghanistan where we are supporting farmers with new technologies. We are incorporating uh, laser leveling systems that allow them to expand the areas that they're able to, uh, to farm. Uh, we are also providing them with training uh, on how to uh, use new um, methodologies. And oftentimes this kind of work, especially on the agriculture side, uh, results in uh, increase by yield, their yield 50 to uh, 100% sometimes to be able to double their yields. So certainly we are carrying out activities to help with longer term economic uh, development of the country. And finally, so one of the things that often is said to me when I talk about you know donating to charity and, and helping towards these things is that people often say that, oh, I don't know where the money goes. And this isn't to like cause any, I'm not accusing you or anything, but what I'm trying to understand is how, what, what steps and what things are in place to make sure that the money reaches the right people. Oh, that's a very good and fair question to ask. Uh, we at Save the Children and our other peer or international organizations, of course, are committed to making sure that uh, all of the um, resources that are, are, are donated to us by, by individuals and by other donor institutions are managed in the most effective and transparent way possible. Uh, we are um, able to be uh, transparent through the publication of our um, audits and all our financial statements online, uh, but at the same time, we publish the uh, annual reports where we showcase the amount of people we uh, support and of course, we are uh, constantly um, engaged with our donors and our partners to make sure that there is a very transparent process and, and understanding of how resources are managed. Uh, and we, of course, have internal policies and procedures, uh, including counter fraud procedures that ensure that there is absolutely zero tolerance for any sort of uh, mismanagement uh, of uh, resources. And I know you said finally, but just actually finally this time for real, in the aftermath of the earthquake, you've seen um, the measures that have been taken, but in terms of the measures taken for the safety and well-being of vulnerable populations, um, of course, that includes children, but also the elderly and uh, those with disabilities, maybe children with disabilities. What's being done? What measures are being taken for them? Yes, uh, of course, the children with disabilities are often even more marginalized and vulnerable in the result of an earthquake. Uh, what the uh, international organizations like Save the Children do is we ensure that we have very clear safeguarding procedures to ensure that children who are most vulnerable are uh, supported and are not harmed by any of our interventions. 
and at the same time we are able through our for example health and nutrition teams to be able to escalate a a situation of a very vulnerable child, a very sick child, a very malnourished child to a proper facility where we actually support them to uh, be able to access the more, uh, uh, I guess, robust uh, health services. Uh, in addition, what we're doing as Save the Children in Afghanistan is we have recently established a therapeutic feeding unit in the northern part of Afghanistan, which is most devastated by trout, where we are treating the children affected by uh, moderate and severe acute malnutrition. We're providing them with the uh, needed nutrition to make sure that uh, they're able to recover from from the uh, malnutrition, which oftentimes can result in stunting, their growth may be limited, their cognitive growth may also be uh, undermined, and unfortunately, sometimes as a result of malnutrition, children can die. So what we are doing is we've established this therapeutic feeding unit um, in able to be able to provide that needed support to children. It is um, currently uh, supporting those children. So we are doing everything we can to ensure that uh, all the vulnerable children uh, that we can reach are supported with the life-saving and life-sustaining services that we as Save the Children offer. Mm -hmm. so, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate your time. It's very insightful. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. That was Ahmed Kudaudo, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, from uh, a spokesman for Save the Children organization. And I think it was quite insightful. And it was good to see how the money is spent in certain ways and what initiatives and actions are being taken. And, and it kind of would encourage others as well to, you know, donate and actually see that, you know, there are actually, these things are coming into fruition. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just if you would like to, and just if you would like to add your thoughts as well, uh, as again, the number is um, 02086877878. Or again, if you just want to tweet, it's at Voice of Islam UK. Or you can just visit the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk and share your thoughts there. So that was really insightful in the sense that if we think about the impact that is happening in these types of countries, um, it's, you know, foreign aid cuts are just not helpful, right? Like, there are people who are relying on these things and you know, the principles of Islam will always guide you to look after your fellow man right um, the principle of serving humanity um, it's the second caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community Hazrat Mirza Bashir Din Mahmud Ahmed may Allah be pleased with him summarizes uh, the sad state of affairs uh, does it not happen all around you that lives of the poor are put in jeopardy or even loss when only very little might have put them out of danger or saved them which is from the new world order of Islam I think that especially with the backdrop of, of Gaza as well um, I think that it's really important to think about that thing that it, it often doesn't take a lot to help someone and I think that people are so concerned about oh like but you know what about this or like 
they automatically think that it's something that you know people don't deserve i don't know like i i feel like often when i see stuff online where people are very adamant against these types of things they have this like selfishness in them where it's kind of like no but what about me what what about me you know another thing is you mentioned that as well but it just kind of I don't know how, but it got me to think about, you know, when Ukraine was going through difficulty and how people were opening arms and we should help them. And when is Palestine all of a sudden, <laughs> they're, they're almost inferior. Yeah. Um, and it's just sad to see because they're humans just like us. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is the beauty of Islam, right? Like Islam isn't saying help Muslims. It's not saying help any type of religion or any type of race or any type of like the uh, creed, right? Like mm. it, it's... Islam says help any you know, and everyone exactly. exactly so and and with that simple thing that like why do we need to why do we need to stop I, I mean right now a woman confront a new reality whereby there's severe there's a severe crisis there's an estimated of 97% of households being unable to meet their basic needs wow 97% did you, did you just say 97% that's it's like I I like I'm at a loss. Like when you think about numbers like that, it's it's incredible to think that we you know we're like washing our hands of it. I mean, look, there not just the fact that they're maybe not getting enough support and enough aid, but also they themselves are going through a severe drought. And according to the government, the wheat crop will drop uh, will be reduced by nearly two million tons, and more than three million livestock are at risk of death. Uh, thousands of children are suffering from malnutrition as well. The thing is, so um, as our guest was saying about education, saving the children, the thing is, is that it's um, the second caliph, Azad Mirza Bashir al-Din Mahmoud Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, who who also says this is that a nation cannot be reformed without first reforming its youth, right? Mm. So, with that in mind, like if they're not getting with with because natural disasters happen they happen in lots of different areas but because of the failed attempts and the failed infrastructures that have been there it's more detrimental and it impacts more and when you cannot help your children to grow up to then become the doctors to become the nurses to to you know become the teachers if they're not getting that education then how is the country ever going to be successful right like it's it's just never going to develop if that that happens and i think that that just it's a domino effect isn't it yeah it's it's just such a impactful thing that like we think that oh you know they will they'll sort it out or it's somebody else's problem but like the cutting of 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 the aid is we are actually sentencing people to death if you think about it, they, there are people who rely on these things. Yes. It's not just livelihood, right? It's it's actual fundamental things. It's not like we're paying for somebody to have a Lamborghini or something like that, exactly. right? Like, it, this is basic fundamental needs. And again, with the backdrop of Gaza as well, like, you know, it's it's we're seeing people suffer in the most, like, it's so real. Like yeah. you're seeing these things happen, and there's no justice, and it's just sad. And you know, personally, I I just think we should uh, 
course, we as, as MD Muslims, we would say we should pray and try and do our bit yeah. where we can as well. Yeah. Um, and just, we are nearing the end of the first hour. Um, I just want to end on a quote of the fourth caliph, Hazrat Mizat Ahmed, where he states, all societies and uh, states of the world must participate to help mitigate the sufferings. So all societies there. It is a shame that despite all the advancements in science and technology, the el- elimination of thirst and hunger has not received the attention it needs. There must be a system whereby a, a, a to- some total of human wealth can be equally and efficiently channeled to those areas where hunger or famine plays havoc with humanity or wherever people have been rendered destitute and homeless. Yeah, and I, I think this is all really, doesn't it? That um, the efforts should be made and focused on not just making our lives better or easier. We're all right? part of this. We're all part of this, just about as much focusing each on. Um, and, and that's everything mm. we have to discuss on the impact of foreign aid cuts uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, join us for the second hour where we'll be, we'll be discussing Prophet Noah um, just after the news. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here at The Voice of Islam. We were discussing before the break uh, about Afghanistan and the reduction of aid. Um, We discussed more about the historical case that has been presented uh, in the International Court of Justice in Gaza. And now we're going to be discussing a really interesting topic because... We don't. I feel like we don't discuss these things enough, like in our daily lives. I think that we need to learn more about the the special people that grace the earth, the prophets um, that brought us different teachings. And so today we're discussing Hazrat Noah, uh, a preacher of righteousness. You, today, what we want to understand is who he was. You know some background about him, and then we'll have a guest on the show as well who's going to go into more detail. So the Quran, the Quran, and the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, the peace, mercy, peace and mercy, mercy and blessings of God be upon him, teach us that Prophet Noah was a beacon of hope among the de- descendants of Adam in an era where sin and lawlessness had overtaken the people. Today we want to discuss who that person was, who Hazrat Noah was, his status in Islam and his life story. We want to, I'm sure a lot of you will be thinking about, uh, okay, how does Noah's Ark, um, and that's the story of Noah's Ark come into it and the remarkable level of righteousness in a time where everyone around him had been led astray. I think it's important to highlight these types of things and have these discussions about these topics because it's it's something that we can learn and draw and understand and improve our lives based on that knowledge. So who was he? Um, as some of our listeners may not know uh, who Hazrat Noah is or who it was uh, and what status he holds in the eyes of Muslims, we thought we'd give you an insight into the beliefs regarding Hazrat Noah. Uh, Muslims are the followers of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, who brought the religion of Islam. We believe that he is the last law-bearing prophet and the seal of all the prophets. However, we still believe that there are many prophets who were sent by God to guide the people of their time. Uh, In the Holy Quran, Allah Almighty says, We indeed sent messenger before thee, 
which is in chapter 40, verse 79. So every Muslim has to believe and respect all prophets that came before the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Uh, prophet Noah is one of those prophets that came before Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and we respect him as a prophet of God. So I'm joining the studio, as you guys know, with my co-host, um, Usman Ali Amjim uh, mm. today uh, and you know do you want to give some background onto uh, Prophet Noah? Yeah I think that's quite important and it's a it's a beautiful topic and it's nice not only because it enables us when we prepare to you know refresh our knowledge but also it gives the the uh, viewers and some may not be aware that you know we, we as Muslims it's not ju- just that we believe in the Holy Prophet peace be upon him as it Muhammad uh, Mustafa uh, peace be upon him rather we believe in all the prophets to be truthfully sent from God as I mentioned actually before as well that they're all sent from God and they all sent their teachings uh, for that time for that uh, specific area and then over time when human had uh, intellect had developed enough and we reached a point at that point then God Almighty sent the Holy Prophet the best of prophets um, you know the Khatun Nabiyin and he came and he you know the seal of prophets the and what he did, he came and he gave them the teaching for the rest of time. Um, and in terms of, before I go off topic too much, uh, Noah, yes, bring it back. <laughs> Noah, peace be upon him, was an inhab- uh, inhabitant of uh, Iraq. So according to Genesis uh, chapter 11, verse 9. And then very little was known of his childhood or youth. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was just a man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And that's in chapter 6 of Genesis. He appeared about 10 centuries after Adam, uh, peace be upon him. Uh, The people of his time had become worldly and were involved in social and moral evils. They had forgotten the real creator and had resorted to the worship of idols. They had many idols and the principal ones being Vad, Suwah, Yahuth, Yauk and Nasr. And the thing is again here that as I was saying, that religion came to eradicate the ills and moral illnesses, and these are then sometimes religion is misused, and that's why some people believe that God forbid the problem is religion, but it's not religion. It mm. actually came to eradicate these. Uh, you know, Noah, uh, peace be upon him, was a law-bearing prophet, uh, which means he brought a divine law. Uh, some are uh, prophets, for example, the Prophet Messiah, peace, uh, he came, and he was for the arrival of Islam. Some prophets are subordinate prophets. Some bring the law. So Prophet Noah was a law-bearing prophet. And we, of course, believe after the Holy Prophet, there will be no new law-bearing prophet. Uh, Prophet uh, Noah was, again, as I said before, and he brought a law-bearing, he was a law-bearing prophet. And uh, um, this was necessary in his time because the human mind had reached a stage of development uh, and it was uh, able to understand and comprehend the divine attributes. So that could, they needed an upgrade or change. Yeah. Um, you see, that, I think that's really interesting because um, people like can often think, "Oh, okay, why why wasn't it just one, um, you know, prophet or one religion? Like, why do we have so many different types of uh, religions and prophets?" Um, but the thing is, is that God sent uh, messengers appropriate for that specific time. So, and. It's not, and and this is where like um, I was discussing on a different show uh, where we were talking about God's attributes, and one of the reasons why I think it's so important to 
understand to understand Islam and religion and to build a connection with God, you need to understand God's attributes. And um, I think that the main thing that when you think about God being the all knowledgeable, so seeing from the end of time to the beginning of time, God knew to send the right person for the right time with the right level of knowledge, the right, not that they, they had less knowledge, but the understanding of the world around them was different, right? And I think that that's where we need to really kind of feel just in awe of the fact that God's encompassing all knowledge from the beginning of, to, uh, beginning of time to the end of time, that God had that foresight to send the right appropriate person for the specific time. And you know, as you said, yeah. the the people had evolved. They needed a bit of an upgrade. And that's I, the thing, right? You know, that's the thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you. No, but you know, that's the thing that um, you know people had become um, involved in the moral and social evils. As I was saying, and um, in uh, the people in Noah's time actually laid down the foundation of human civilization. Those evils which uh, normally appear in civilized society nowadays actually began to appear from them too. So divine law was needed to guide mankind to the right path. In addition, the Bible tells us that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among of his time, uh, and that he walked with God. Walking with God means that all his acts were in line and according to the will and pleasure of God. Uh, he lived in a valley surrounded by... Yeah, I think that's really mountains. clear. Yeah. Uh, we need to make that very clear. It's not that he physically walked with God. Of course, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's just in terms of... His actions, as I was saying, followed yeah. God Almighty. Yeah. yeah, it's good that you stressed that. Yeah. Um, not to be taken literally. There, he lived in a valley surrounded by huge mountains in Mesopotamia, in south, south southern Iraq. Um, there were great springs uh, flowing from the mountains in that area. Some mountains in the valley could easily be climbed, and uh, there was a forest of trees whose timber was suitable for boat making. So let's go on to the law that was introduced by no peace be upon him um, the law introduced through no uh, peace be upon him uh, has not been preserved uh, however it appears that it contained basic principles of the unity of god the law of Noah, peace be upon him was suitable for his time and just one thing there that's yeah. that's one thing which is in common with all prophets that they came and taught about one single yeah. god whether it was before prophet, from prophet from whichever prophet you will look you know, more than 100,000 prophets, they all taught, and that's the one significant thing, and this is something that we actually use, for example, without going too far on topic, that yeah. this is a, a proof of the existence of God, that how can it be that so many prophets in so many different areas all and that, came yeah. Yeah. and taught about one God? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the thing, right? Like, a lot of people say that, you know, religion was man-made, you know, that all these prophets um, mm. got bid, like, you know, made these uh, laws and stuff for, of their own religion. But the consistency that you see at the core and how it's innate within all of us, right? Like all of us, no matter what stage of life or maybe it was earlier for some or whatever, we, you know when you're doing something bad. Mm. If like if there is that feeling, there is that voice in your head that tells you that. And I think that with that consistency among all people obviously there are some caveats as mental health issues etc but i think that the consistency there just 
in itself is an example of the trueness of God. And I think that, you know, when you start to look at the different prophets, and this is why I love heroes like this, is that you see that consistency in that, you know, it was, although we the, the actual teachings may not be have been preserved, we know that it was about the unity of God. And um, the law of uh, Noah, peace be upon him, was suitable for his time, as we mentioned, um, it was uh, to be transformed and developed in due course to suit future needs, right? And the Holy Quran actually states, he has prescribed for you the religion which he enjoined on Noah, which is in chapter 42, verse 14. So clearly there is that similarity there. There mm. is that, like, look, it's not something different. There are principles from that. Uh, it's just when when the the when you look at the Holy Quran when you understand the fact that it has been preserved in its most truest form, it's not changed at all. You realize that it's the perfect book, right? It's the it's the perfect version of when man would be able to comprehend, right? So there were yes, different, um, not different. There were more simpler versions of religion that were bestowed mm. on people before. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, but it was perfected through the Quran. And that's why it says, you know, on this day we have completed your religion for there you. you. Go. Perfected yeah. and completed. Yeah. And after all those teachings, now yeah. comes the combination. Yeah. And the this is the universal teaching yeah. of Islam. Until the end of time, right? Of course. And um, the, the law um, introduced uh, through him, uh, Prophet Noah, sorry, will actually remain around a thousand years. And the Quran actually states in chapter 29, verse 15, that and we certainly sent Noah to his people, and he dwelt among them a thousand years, save fifty years. Then, the, then the deluge overtook them while they were wrongdoers. And many prophets followed his law, as I was saying. There's and that was chapter twenty-nine, verse fifteen, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as I was saying, there there are many prophets that followed his law. So it's not that every prophet brings the law; some are yeah. subordinate. Yeah. I think um, I, I think yeah. that's a great distinction that we need to make in you know one that um can help you understand the teachings of the Ahmadi Muslim community as well um is that it's not that someone comes a prophet is not defined just as bringing a law right there is that element of there are different types of prophets right of course and that's the thing as well that um you know sometimes people don't know about so it's important that we've touched on it today, um, and also I just, in terms of um, uh, the, the thing about the teachings is that it comes for that time, and for those people, and then as the need changes, God Almighty sends new guidance, because otherwise it would be unfair. Uh, and just before we go on to um, Prophet Noah's age, I think we have a, a caller on the line. Yes, we do. Um, let me just introduce him. So we have um, Rawaudin Arif Khan, who is a missionary in Birmingham, and we've got him here to discuss um, more about Noah. Um, so let's get straight into it. Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show here at Voice of Islam. Wa alaikum salam, rahmatullah, for having me. Thank you so much for your time. So. We wanted to um, talk a little bit about uh, the significance of um, a plague in the time of the Promised Messiah, uh, Islam, and how did he liken it to the deluge of Noah's time? 
Well, that's very interesting because the Promised Messiah, Salam, in 1888, received a revelation from God Almighty, in which God Almighty literally commanded the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, to build an ark. So the words were that construct the ark before our eyes and according to our command. Those who swear allegiance to thee swear allegiance to God. The hand of God is over their hands. Now, this was in a way the ark uh, that you know was to be built was in fact um, the community, because if it, it it speaking of the the ark of Noah, um, we know that uh, Prophet Noah peace upon him he um, built an ark to uh, save his people and those that believed in him uh, from. Uh, the, the great flood. So the promised Messiah, lesson of the Islam, in a similar manner, was commanded by Allah Almighty to build that ark. Now, that particular ark was not to save uh, from a flood, but here it was resembling uh, another um, sign of God Almighty, which was the plague. And uh, then the promised Messiah, Islam was told that this, the earth is covered with the flood of error, and you should prepare this ark in this time of flood so that whoever boards this ark would be delivered from being drowned, and whoever will persist in denial will face death. Now, here God Almighty was uh, also foretold the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, that a plague would occur, and whoever will believe in you, whoever will pledge allegiance to you, will be saved. And uh, in order to to take uh, the oath of allegiance, he then, uh, you know, made this community known as the Indian Muslim community. And whoever uh, pledged allegiance to him, whoever accepted him, and whoever showed complete obedience to him uh, was thus saved from... Uh, the spiritual ills and also the the worldly ills um, as, as, as the plague uh, was described. So um, this was the significance um, at the time of, of the Promised Messiah al-Islam um, and the command of um, constructing the Ark, uh, which was akin of uh, the Ark, Noah's Ark. And what is mentioned in Surah Al-Tahreem um, regarding the coming of the new Messiah? Surah Al-Tahreem uh, is the 66th chapter of the Holy Quran. And it's a very short chapter in which uh, so many beautiful things are mentioned. And in the very last verse of uh, this chapter... The example of Mary, the daughter of Imran, is given, who guarded her chastity. And then it is said that uh, we breathe therein of our spirit, and she fulfilled in her person the words of her Lord and his books, and was one of the obedient. Here, um, you know, the example has been given that some people from among this Ummah, meaning uh, the Ummah of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, 
would resemble Mary the Truthful, who lived a life of chastity. And then the soul of Jesus, uh, you know, was breathed into her womb, uh, and he was, uh, the, the, the Messiah was born. Now this verse signifies that someone from among the Ummah would first be conferred the station of Mary, and then the soul of Jesus would be breathed into him. And then Jesus would emerge from Mary. So the attributes of the person who resembles Mary would be transformed into those of Jesus, meaning the quality of being, uh, you know, Mary's likeness would give birth to one who takes on the, the form of Jesus. So in this way, uh, the promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi uh, was referred to as the son of Mary. And this is something the promised Messiah has mentioned in his literature uh, and was also told uh, by Allah Almighty that he is uh, the second coming of uh, the Messiah, uh, uh, son of Mary, in a spiritual sense. And the same attributes that um, were in were to be found in um, Mary, peace be upon her, and Hazrat Isa Salam would be found uh, within the Ummah of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Right, and um, in the book Noah's Ark, how is the condition of the Muslims related to that of the Mosaic dispensation? The condition has, is very similar because um, Allah Almighty has given the example in the Holy Quran and um, made the resemblance of um, uh, Prophet Noah and uh, um, and also of the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Um, uh, sorry, Prophet Moses and Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. And in the same way the Jews rejected the Messiah, similarly Muslims rejected uh, the second coming of the Messiah. For instance, uh, you know, at, at the time of uh, Hazrat Isa al-Islam, when, uh, you know, the, the, the followers of Moses, peace be upon him, when they uh, came to know that there is a person who claimed to be the Messiah, they mocked him they persecuted him. And, uh, you know, it, in the same way, um, the same happened in the Ummah of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. That the Ummah, when uh, they heard of a Messiah who is from among the Ummah of and uh, a follower of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, they rejected him, they persecuted him, and they mocked him. Uh, and, uh, you know, there the are numerous examples that were given by the Promised Messiah, um, that, you know, uh, for instance, um, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him, said that uh, the Jews who rejected the Messiah nowadays are... Uh, the, in, in, uh, can be compared to the early hadith of that time. 
they raised an uproar against him, issued an edict of disbelief against him, and declared him to be a disbeliever. Um, they slandered him by saying that they rejected the books of God because God has prophesied the second coming of Elijah. But this man sought to uh, misrepresent the prophecy and applied it uh, to, to far-fetched interpretation without any evidence. And there's so many um, resemblances that we find from, um, from the followers of Moses and the followers of the early prophet, peace be upon him, that both uh, in, in the way they uh, behaved and the way they uh, rejected uh, the Messiah. And this can be found today in today's day and age as well, where we see how uh, the Muslim Ummah still uh, rejects um, the, you know, the, the, truth, the, the true Messiah in Imam Mahdi, who was sent and foretold uh, by Allah Almighty and prophesied by the, by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon himself. And in terms of the time in which they appeared as prophets, how do the promised Messiah and Jesus um, resemble each other? Um, that's also a very interesting uh, question because in the Holy Quran, Allah Almighty um, states very clearly that I have sent you a prophet uh, to watch over you like I have sent to, uh, to the Pharaoh. And we know that um, the, uh, the uh, Hazrat Musa, salam, Prophet Moses, uh, peace be upon him, was the prophet who was sent to the people of Pharaoh. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, was sent to the, the Arabs. Now, exactly 1400 years after Prophet uh, Moses, uh, peace be upon him, Prophet Jesus Islam, appeared. And uh, this was the time when um, those people that followed uh, Prophet Moses uh, drove away from the actual teaching and needed uh, a reformer to guide them back on the right path. And it, the same thing happened after uh, 14 years of the Holy Prophet uh, Muhammad wasallam, that uh, the people deviated from the right path and um, uh, were not able to practice and understand Islam as it was prescribed by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And therefore, Allah Almighty sent another Messiah to guide uh, the Muslim Ummah to the right path and uh, give them the teaching of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And this was exactly the same time span um, between the, both of them. And there's the resemblance as well, that 1400 years after Prophet Moses came Prophet Jesus and Similarly, uh, 14 years after Prophet Muhammad وسلم, came Prophet Ahmad And um, you know, through these incidents and stories, what uh, lesson do these teach us? We should, you know, the, the lessons that we learn from history, Allah Almighty repeatedly reminds us in the whole Quran that we should take heed from, from these stories and uh, uh, the things that Allah Almighty has mentioned and given us in the Holy Quran. So when we uh, come to know that, you know, uh, when a true servant of Allah Almighty was sent to guide mankind and people rejected him and blindly rejected him and persecuted him, um, you know, from 
from this is this is a common thing in history. And then we come to know these about these stories, and we, what we should do is also take a lesson from it that we should not blindly reject the person uh, that uh, was foretold by um, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him was sent by Allah Almighty, and all of the signs and all of the uh, prophecies and all of um, you know the the indications uh, of that person uh, you know became true. Uh, at the time of his arrival. So we should ask Allah Almighty for guidance so that he guides us towards the right path. And the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, in the book Noah's Ark constantly um, mentions this as well uh, under the prayer of Ehdena Sirat al-Mustaqim that guide us on the right path. And um, he points out to the fact that uh, you know, we should, uh, or, or the Muslim Ummah should um, strive to and pray to Allah Almighty to, uh, you know, not be of those that, uh, according to Surah Fatiha, that, uh, you know, that um, incurred the displeasure of Allah Almighty and were of those that went astray. Um, and we should be saved from that. And how can we do that? By not following the footsteps of the previous ummahs of uh, the ummah of uh, the promise uh, of the uh, father Musa al-Islam, and then the ummah of father Isa al-Islam, that uh, you know uh, were adalim uh, and maghdub alayhim. So we should take heed from that and uh, accept the imam of the time, who was the promised Messiah al-Islam. And um, sort of, in, as as you know, our topic is um, Prophet Noah, peace be upon him. So I was, um, in terms of, for example, where in the Bible it would say that, you know, every single, so pairs or this many of every single animal got onto the boat and it was a boat and, you know, the flood. And just without going into too much, um, how does the Islamic sort of view differ? Was it metaphors or in terms of, was it a physical yes, boat? I mean, Which animals? <laughs> From a logical point of view, it's uh, nearly impossible to to have you know a pair of every single animal uh, you know that was you know on Earth. Rather, those common animals that were present in order to uh, you know uh, for them to, to, to you know to take uh, benefit from them, uh, they were they took animals on 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 the ark, but. Uh, we shouldn't take everything literal, but there's also uh, a metaphorical meaning that um, was, you know, was to be understood in, in this example. Thank you very much for joining us today. That was Rawadin Arif Khan, who is a missionary in Birmingham. For the Ahmadiyya Muslim, who is yes, a, <laughs> uh, who is a missionary, um, alive and well, um, in Birmingham, uh, for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, who provided us with a lot of great insight um, into uh, Prophet Noah and the um, some of the things that are uh, involved with the Promise of Sire as well. Just to carry on, um, we were discussing, of course, we were giving, so we, we were in the preliminary stage in the sense that we were giving sort of a feel of, you know, the different teachings and the times. And just in line with that, the people of that time, 
so people had returned to idol worshipping. Um, at first they built statues of pious people who had died a long time ago and placed them where those people used to sit. However, as time passed, they progressed and they started worshipping these idols as they thought that uh, their demands would be fulfilled by them. And these idols would help them and not God. Uh, when God saw these people going astray and worshipping idols instead of uh, the one and only God, he sent Noah, Pro- Prophet Noah, peace be upon him, who a divine Lord to convey his message uh, of uh, God's unity. And uh, just in terms of Noah's age, if you can touch on that as well. So we get. Yeah, so in, in the Holy Quran, uh, Prophet Noah's uh, age is mentioned as 950 years and in the Bible it is mentioned as 952 years. Um, however, this like you know no one lives that long <laughs> um this is actually um and, and and no it does not mean that uh just to put that out there and make sure that's clear it, it's the period which the holy quran and, and bible describes is is not the prophet noah's physical life it's the period in which um his teachings, his lasted. teachings lasted right so um the law he introduced main remained in force for 1000 years uh, as we mentioned before and uh, many prophets followed this law until God refu- revealed a new one. It extended to the time of Prophet Ibrahim. Um, or Prophet Abraham as as, as, as Yeah, and uh, it seems that the first 50 years of Prophet Noah's uh, ministry were the years of spiritual progress for his community, after which the spiritual condition of his followers began to deteriorate, and this uh, deterioration became complete in 900 years. Um, we actually have a audio clip uh, that's going to shed some more light on the matter. Um, let's share that now. First of all, from Quran, how many years Hazrat Nuh lived in this world? First question. Hazrat Nuh lived, did, I can tell you what, he did not live personally for 950 years. But his Shariat lived for that period. <coughs> It is the style of the Holy Quran that if a mention in Bible is made to something which is uh, which may have been understood wrongly, the Holy Quran either rectifies it or rejects it or repeats it in the same way so that people may not misunderstand about what had been said. Now this portion of the Bible has been taken exactly by the Holy Quran with some slight improvisation. So that shows that uh, in the first instance it was not uh, interpolated into the Bible. It was not added into the Bible. It was exactly what Allah had said. Yes. But meaning something different. Now why I say that he did not live and the Holy Quran does not mean that he lived that long is because the history tells us otherwise. Hazrat Ibrahim was born according to the chronology of Bible and the history, whatever his history is preserved about these prophets, exactly or almost exactly 900 years after Hazrat Nuh. So, if Hazrat Nu had lived for 950 years, still he would be there with his Sharia and uh, he would be still living and uh, all that had happened within that time 
would be under his observation. And what we find is that not only that is not correct historically, but when Hazrat Ibrahim appeared, the whole of the population of that area had become idolaters. And there was no ray of light left, no ray of truth. So how could it happen? Where had Hazrat Nu gone? What he was doing in that old age, when a full, the, a full people were destroyed because of rejecting him, and once he was given ascendancy, he ended up in a prophet who had, who, whose followers had entirely and totally gone corrupt. It is impossible. I mean, obviously it has to be rejected. So in the light of the history, in the light of the facts, we know, in the light of the facts related by the Holy Quran, Hazrat Ibrahim is mentioned in the Holy Quran in a manner that no mention of Noah is made along with him. On the contrary, it is said that Noah was a king of the past when Hazrat Ibrahim appeared. In some places the Holy Quran says before him, before him, you know, and the Noah <coughs> is related to be a man of the past as compared to the following later prophets. Ibrahim is included in that list of the later prophets. Min Qablihi is positively mentioned in the Holy Quran. So, in the leaving the history aside, if, if you must insist that I should base my arguments on the Holy Quran, it is very clear that the Holy Quran does not mean that Ibrahim Noha lived himself 950 years. <coughs> so, what it may mean? He didn't live. His, his period of Sharia, the life of his Sharia, mm -hmm. was 950 years. If my inference is correct, then we must have further evidence to prove that this inference is correct. And that evidence is not only present in the Holy Quran, but suddenly when you look at ev the evidence, the whole picture becomes so resolute and clear that, uh, you know, one feels such a pleasure to learn things in, in the new light. There are two references to Hazrat Ibrahim <laughs> which apparently are contradictory to each other. In one place it is said that Abraham had his own, his, had his own books, his own Sharia, yes, yes. which was followed and which was to be followed by prophets later on. And in another place it is said that Abraham was one of the followers of Noah, was found among his people. So this, these two statements are apparently contradictory. If he had his own Sharia, why should he have followed Hazrat Noah? So the answer lies therein where what I have already described. Because Hazrat Noah's Sharia lasted 950 years, Hazrat Ibrahim lived for first 50 years in his Sharia. So that is why Min Shiyatahi Ibrahim, among the followers of Noah was Abraham. This is the mention of the, the reference in the Holy Quran. And later on, when he reached the full ripe age of 50, he was given his own book and his own teachings which was an advancement upon the teachings of Noah. So from then on he is referred to as an independent prophet of his own book. That was the fourth caliph of Islam, Sid Mirza Tahir Ahmed.
Um, oh, speaking on, yes, oh, speaking <laughs> yeah, on, <laughs> speaking on um, Prophet Noah, and again there again, as we were mentioning, one you know thing that was there was that it was 950 years was the period of his teaching, as the brother Fahim had pointed out before, and if you go on to sort of the I would say the main part. Now we only have ten yeah. minutes, but it's such a vast topic. <laughs> yes, there's only so much we can do. Um, so Prophet Noah, peace be upon him. Um, in terms of him conveying the message, the Holy Quran uh, states, we sent Noah to his people and he said, O my people, worship Allah. You have no other God but him. Indeed, I fear for you the punishment of the great day. So he went and warned them. On hearing the message, the chiefs of the people replied, we see you to be in manifest error. So we see you in error instead. (laughs) And Prophet Noah then politely told them, there is no error in me. Rather, I am a messenger from the Lord of the worlds. I deliver to you the message of my Lord and give you my, uh, sincere advice. And I know from Allah what you do not know. Do, not, do you wonder that an exhortation has come to you from your Lord through a man from among yourselves that he may warn you and that you may become righteous and that you may be shown mercy. And that's in chapter 7, verse 62-64. And in terms of uh, this verse itself, um, it just goes to show where it's saying that, you know, I am from God. So he's not saying I have any spirituality because of myself. It's because I am sent from God. Um, This is why I'm in in the correct. Um, I've come to warn you so that you're shown mercy. I've come for your benefit. Yeah. And despite the bitter opposition of the chiefs, Prophet Noah continued his teaching and um, only a handful of weak ones, the poor and the youth, believed in him. Uh, he preached to his people day and night and spoke to them in public and private. He also warned them of the evil consequences of the rejection of God's message where he said, you know, the the punishment of the great day. Yeah. Um, but all uh, his preaching and warning, his sympathy and, uh, was were treated with ridicule. Uh, opposition and abuse instead of following him uh, whose uh, heart was full of love for them they chose to follow their false leaders and the, and the chiefs of his people told him we surely see thee lost in foolishness and we surely th- see thee to be one of the liars <laughs> they're calling him a liar yeah. and Prophet Noah tried to convince them and win them over for God he advised them to seek forgiveness uh, of the Lord as he is a, for- a great forgiver of sins Uh, Enumerating the benefits of belief in one God, he informed them God will send down rain for them in abundance and he will grant them increase in wealth and children. He will also cause gardens to uh, grow and rivers to flow for them. He further drew their attention to the great creation of of, of seven heavens in perfect harmony and placing of the moon in it as a light and the sun as a lamp. Lastly, he drew their attention to their own uh, growth out of the earth and uh, and their return to it and their resurrection but all his advice fell on deaf ears the chiefs again they, they persuaded them to continue in the worship of idols saying that Noah peace be upon him was just a man like anyone else uh, he just wanted to gain superiority and attention um, uh, and he I mean Prophet Noah continued preaching but it didn't really it, people t- didn't take heed yeah I think that it's, it's it's often seen with prophets of God that you know they come with the message they're humble people who aren't doing this for any benefit of their own right they 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 just want to share the the message of god and 
it just it often falls on deaf ears because people just don't trust them or, or, or just don't see them even though they are very trustworthy people um and i think that uh, uh, i want to mention a prayer that um prophet noah peace be upon him mentioned uh, or, or said at this time after the it, it, um after this where people hadn't like really be- believed in him uh he offered the following prayer to god uh, my lord leave not of the disbelievers even one dweller in the land for if thou dost leave them they will only lead astray thy servants and will beget none but sinners and disbelievers my lord forgive my parents and me and him who enters my house as a believer and the uh, believing men and the believing women and increase thou not the wrongdoers in aught but in ruin and that's in chapter 71 verse 27 to 29 um it's at this point that the ark is built, right? Yeah, so God Almighty commanded you know, Noah, peace be upon him, to build an ark. The Quran says, and again, this is all in the Quran, so if you, if you read it, you'll understand and you can probably, yeah. you know, if reading it yourself, it will probably hit home a little bit more yeah. and it's probably going to be a bit more of a vast study. And so in the Quran, it says that, and build thou the ark under our eyes, and as commanded by our revelation and address me not concerning the wrongdoers, they are surely going to be drowned. That's in chapter 11, verse 38. He immediately, he immediately, like all prophets, he followed the instructions of God and prepared the ark. The chiefs of his people ridiculed um, the, this move of, his, move of his and termed it as a lunatic, turned him as a, uh, as a lunatic. I overcame, and in, in chapter 54 it says, I am overcome. So come thou to my help. This is Prophet uh, Noah, where he says that in the fantasy, you know, help yeah. me. I'm overcome. So it's a uh, great come, come to my help. Yeah, the deluge. If we move on to, God heard the, the deluge or the flood. God heard Noah's uh, peace be upon his prayers, and soon after, at the appointed time, God opened the gates of heavens with water, which fell in torrents, and earth burst forth with springs, and both waters met according to the degree of God. And God forever directed Noah, peace be upon him. Um, and it says in the Quran, chapter 11, in terms of direction, Embark therein two of every kind, male and female, and thy family except those against whom the word has already gone forth, and those who believe, and there had not believed in him except a few. And again, embark therein in the name of Allah, be its course and its mooring. My... Lord is assuredly most forgiving, merciful. Chapter 11 again, and that's verse 42, so just following on. Thus, after, uh, thus there appeared a great delusion in the part of the world. In that part of the world, the might of the chiefs and their arrogance was brought to naught. Um, it consumed all opponents of Noah, peace be upon him, including his disbelieving son, while Noah and his followers, Noah, peace be upon him, and his followers were saved. And then finally, the storm. Uh, sorry, the flood subsided. Yeah, and um, so we can learn several points from the Quranic account. Uh, one important point is the clarification that the deluge came from the clouds and from the land. So there's a verse, uh, chapter 54, verse 12 to 13, uh, where it describes, Thereupon we opened the gates of heaven with water pouring down, and we caused the earth to burst forth with with springs uh, so the two waters met for the purpose that was decreed um, this verse shows that water cascaded from all sources to create the great flood 
the waters meeting seems to suggest that the coming of together uh, of two great rivers or lakes. Secondly, the Quran implies that the deluge was a regional flood which punished the specific tribes who ignored uh, Noah, peace be upon him. In contrast, the Bible implies that the deluge covered the whole globe, drowning everyone. Um, from the short commentary of the Holy Quran, we learned why this regional event was seen as a universal one. We read that the story of the deluge with some variation is to be found in almost all countries. The reason is that when the descendants of Noah, peace be upon him, and those of his companions who were the founders of human civilization spread to other lands, as they were more powerful than the people already living there, they either exterminated uh, the indigenous inhabitants or absorbed them. Thus, they must have um, they must have introduced into all countries they subjugated their own traditions and customs. And just you know, the Quran uh, refers to the resting place of the Ark as Al Judi, which is uh, which means a high place, and that in future archaeologists will find evidence of the Ark. Uh, in, and that's mentioned in chapter 54, verse 16, where it says, and we left the ark, we left it, the ark, as a sign for the coming generations. But is there anyone who would receive admonition? Um, and then, I mean, we can't go into potential ark sites and quests, but I mean, it's really something we haven't got time for right now. So I'm just going to skip and go on to... Um, uh, well, you mentioned uh, studying uh, yourself, right? There's Noah's yeah. Ark, the the book by the Promise of Fire. Exactly, yes. Him. Um, so, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian was the author of Noah's Ark, Ark, and it was published on 5th of October 1902. Sorry, but just just the reason I don't want to go into the, the questing is because um, in a sermon of 13th May 1983, the fourth caliph, um, of the Prophet said that the boat had not been found for several thousand years and that therefore it is not the purpose of the story to locate the boat to yeah. verify its truth. In fact, the purpose of the story is to perpetuate the praise of Noah and highlight the fates if wicked and righteous are divine promise. The, f- the fates are, are divinely promised. In our times, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Jamaat has made, similar, has made a similar claim that uh, the followers following the teaching of Islam, essentials of which are given in this uh, book, would be safe from the plague ra- uh, raging in those days. And this was like a sign, the right. ark for Noah. And, you know, we've come to the end of the show. This is such a vast topic, right? So it, it's something that we'll, we could do multiple shows. We should, we should do a series, I think, because it, it's something so interesting and we can learn so much about it. But... I just want to conclude by um, saying that you know, mankind must remember that they, if they turn away from their creator and adopt wicked practices, they are prone to punishment through natural disasters despite their knowledge and technology. Um, as this must be true today as it was 5,000 years ago, I think that um, it's the, the story and uh, of, the, of this is, is being preserved as, as a teaching um, for all of us to, to take away and to you know build that connection with god if we don't have one um just lastly um i would say just read the book noah's ark um the promise related the plague of his time to the deluge or the flood of noah and i know our guest uh luckily Rawaldin Saab, our missionary he has managed to touch upon it so the last comment would be that please try and read the book Noah's Ark. It can be found on Al-Islam or anywhere else. And I just want to thank uh, our producers, Isa Rabani and Anam Mahmood uh, and the tech team.